Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lizzie Hansen and today is November 6th. Today is the first day of this week's Come Follow Me block and we're going to be studying Hosea chapters 1 through 6, 10 through 14, and the book of Joel. Now, I love the book of Hosea. It's kind of funny because it's not one that is frequently studied. It's not one that we look to a lot, but it's actually really, really beautiful. The book of Hosea, we're going to begin the book of the minor prophets. Now, it's important to note we call them the minor prophets because their books are short. The only reason we call them minor prophets is because they left us less in writing than prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But these prophets are incredible, and they give us some really great insights into things that were happening in their times. Now, the book of Hosea and this transition into the book of the Minor Prophets can be a little bit confusing for us because all of a sudden our timeline is going to shift again. We've caught up a little bit through the book of Daniel all the way up until the Persian Empire. So this is after Babylon has captured Judah, and then the Persian Empire has captured Babylon. And so we got caught up quite a ways in time. Well, now we're going to go back in time again. Hosea was contemporaries with the prophet Isaiah, and he taught mostly in the Northern Kingdom. So if you remember, the Northern Kingdom was destroyed before the Southern Kingdom. And Hosea is trying to call the Northern Kingdom to repentance before that destruction. So we've gone back quite a ways in time. Now, the book of Hosea is really, really interesting. Hosea can also be pronounced Hosea and carries the same root word for the Hebrew word of salvation. It's the same word that Hosanna comes from, which means save us. So Hosea is supposed to be all about the salvation of God. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in this book. The book of Hosea is really, really interesting because it's almost completely done in metaphors. Now, there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of debate about this book, whether it is totally factual or whether it is like an allegory that was given at the time and that Hosea wrote to teach something. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know. I don't actually have an opinion on whether it is 100% true or if it's more of an allegory. Either way, it's not super important because either way, God is trying to teach us the same lesson. And whether he's teaching us that lesson actually through the events that happened here and he uses them as an example, or whether he's going to teach us the same principle through an allegory is just not the important part here about this book. But the allegory that's used here, or the story that's used here, is Hosea is commanded to marry. And Hosea marries a woman named Gomer, who we're told in the scriptures is a woman of whoredoms or a wife of whoredoms. She's unfaithful to him, And we see his love and his mercy over and over again as she repents and comes back to him and the love that he extends. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story, especially for the northern kingdom of Israel as they have completely turned their back on God, as they have sinned against him, they've been unfaithful to him. It's a beautiful example to them that no matter what they've done, if they return to God, he accepts them in mercy and he wants to rekindle that relationship with them. I love this because we saw this in Isaiah and we saw it again in Jeremiah, this symbol that God uses of a husband and wife. The husband and wife is a beautiful, beautiful symbol of God and his children. 
But in order to fully understand that symbol, we have to view marriage the way God views marriage and not the way the world views marriage. Sometimes I think that the world views marriage more as a 50-50 contract. I give half and you give half. And then between the two of us, we have this 100% marriage. However, I don't think that that's how God intends marriage to be. And that's not exactly how he would have us see it. He's not contractual marriage. He's covenant marriage. And that's different because in 50-50 relationships, we are always going to fall short. Maybe some days I give 20% and my husband gives 30. We're only at half a marriage there. That doesn't work. In covenant marriages, we both give all that we can give. We both give 100% to one another, to the relationship, to the marriage, so that between the two of us, we are getting to 100%. Marriage isn't intended to be seen as a contract. It's intended to be seen as a covenant, as a relationship between two people. And that's what God wants our relationship to him to be like. Not a contract, not a 50-50 thing, But he wants this relationship where we each give all that we can to each other. Inevitably, we are going to fall very short. But because this is a covenant, not a contract, it still becomes enough when we bind ourselves to him through these covenants. And so here he uses this marriage symbol, a covenant marriage symbol, to show his love for us and what he's willing to do for us as we fall short the mercy and the love that he's consistently willing to offer us. Several years ago, Elder Pullman gave an incredible talk, and he talks a little bit about this idea of love and mercy in marriage. And I'm going to play the story that he tells because it really helps us see the overall, the overarching story of Hosea. I want to do this because like I talked about yesterday, I love to talk about the principles behind the stories rather than recounting the stories. So I figure let's take a listen to this story and how Elder Pullman explains it. And that way we can get the story aspect out of the way and we can focus on the principles for the rest of the week. So listen to how Elder Pullman teaches this story. My message today might best be illustrated through the experiences of a young couple whom I will call John and Gail. John was a thoughtful, kind young man, affectionate with a frank and open manner. He sincerely tried to obey the Lord's commandments and found honest contentment in the joys of family life. Gail, his wife, was young, attractive, high-spirited, but inclined toward more worldly interests and activities. In the early years of their marriage, John and Gail were blessed with children, first a boy and then a girl. But Gail seemed disinterested in her domestic responsibilities. She longed for glamour and excitement in her life and was frequently away from home at parties and entertainments. In her vanity, Gail encouraged and responded to the attentions of other men until eventually she was unfaithful to her marriage vows. Shortly after the birth of a third child, a son, Gail deserted her husband and children and joined her worldly friends in a life of self-indulgence and immorality. John, thus rejected, was humiliated and brokenhearted. Soon, however, the glamour and excitement that had attracted Gail turned to ashes. Her so-called friends tired of her and abandoned her. Then each successive step was downward, her life becoming more and more degraded. Eventually, she recognized her mistakes and realized what she had lost, but could see no way back. Certainly, John could not possibly love her still. She felt completely unworthy of his love and undeserving of her home and family. 
Then one day, passing through the streets, John recognized Gail. Surely he would have been justified in turning away, but he didn't. As he observed the effect of her recent life, all too evident, a feeling of compassion came over him, a desire to reach out to her. Learning that Gail had incurred substantial debts, John repaid them and then took her home. Soon John realized, at first with amazement, that he still loved Gail. Out of his love for her and her willingness to change and begin anew, there grew in John's heart a feeling of merciful forgiveness, a desire to help Gail overcome her past and to accept her again fully as his wife. Through his personal experience, there arose in John another profound awareness, a realization of the nature of God's love for us, his children. Though we disregard his counsel, break his commandments, and reject him, when we recognize our mistakes and desire to repent, he wants us to seek him out and he will accept us. John had been prepared through his personal experiences for a divine mission. Though I have taken some literary license in telling the story, it is the account, perhaps allegorical, of Hosea, the prophet of the Old Testament, and his wife, Gomer. By disobeying the laws of God and breaking his commandments, we do offend him. We do estrange ourselves from him. We don't deserve his help and inspiration and strength. But God's love for us transcends our transgression. God is our Father. He loves us. His love is infinite and unconditional. His sorrow is great when we disobey his commandments and break his laws. He cannot condone our transgressions, but he loves us and wants us to return to him. I know of no greater inducement to repentance and reconciliation with our Father in heaven than an awareness of his love for us personally and individually. My friends, it's my testimony that the book of Hosea, although told in a way that's a little bit different than what we're used to, is a story to teach us about God's never-ending love for us and his infinite mercy towards his children. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.